everybody. I'm Ashton Demery. And I'm Nicole Demery. And welcome to our Atheist Bible Study. Where more and more I cannot believe that I spent my Wednesday nights learning about all of this. Yeah, same. Although I always assumed the Catholic Wednesday nights were just reminders of why Catholics are better than Oh, it was definitely that, yeah. Mine was pretty much just people singing for two hours and waving their hands in the air. Oh, we never sang. Uh, anyways, well, welcome back. Also, just wanted to give a quick plug. Uh, if you like the podcast, feel free to check out our Twitter, where we'll keep you updated on when our next episodes are coming out. And we'd also love to get feedback uh, and have you give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And also, if you'd like to support the show, we've added a PayPal where you can donate to the show. And you can find that at the bottom of the description on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, as well as on our website at Buzzsprout. Yep. All right, so last time we left off, we were in the middle of Leviticus, and now we're continuing that. So after the two boys who went up to the altar and were consumed by fire died. Because they're burning passion for the Lord. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Lord tells Moses to tell Aaron that he is not allowed near the mercy seat near the ark or he will die, and that he needs to bring in some additional sacrifices. So he needs to bring a ram and a bull, and he also needs to get the congregation to bring in a ram and two male goats to make a burnt offering. So with the two goats, one is meant to be sacrificed to the Lord, but the other one is meant for Azazel. And when they first present this idea that a goat is meant for Azazel, it's not really clear if Azazel is a place or some kind of deity, and that people are really people. Religious people are split on that. So in Jewish tradition, Azazel is actually a fallen angel. So during the time before the flood, when everybody was like turning evil, except for Noah and his family, Azazel was teaching men the art of warfare, and he was teaching women how to dye their hair and paint their face. And then the angel Raphael is sent to deal with him and he chains him to some jagged rocks in a dark cave where he will stay until the day of judgment. Wow. I, okay. (laughs) I know I say, like, I love the idea of a lot, but I really do love the idea of a demon teaching men how to, like, sword fight during the day and then spending his evenings teaching women how to put on their makeup and, like, do their hair. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) And then most Christians just like to say that it's a place. A place? Yeah, that Azazel is like a mountain region or something where the, where the goat is wandering to. Because basically, so the whole idea of it is that it's just meant as a scapegoat. So either way, if it's going to a demon or just like to wander out into the universe, the idea of it is that everybody says, or not everybody, the priest says everybody sins over the goats, and then they just like release it as like a literal scapegoat to right. kind of like that's pretty that's much what I representation yeah. representing their sins. Okay, that's pretty much what I read about. Was it's just kind of like the concept of a scapegoat mm-hmm. as Azazel. Yeah, so that's a little bit about the two goats, and then the rest of it is just describing how Aaron should sacrifice the other animals. Um, it talks about the goats again a little bit. And, yeah, and then they just turn this into an annual thing. So once a year, they send out a goat into the wilderness. Yeah, so this is the holiday of Yom Kippur, which is uh, also called the the Day of Atonement. So this is where they establish that tradition. And it's supposedly the 
in this time, apparently, it's the one day that the high priest is able to enter the innermost sanctuary of the uh, tent of meeting, which is where Yahweh supposedly uh, seats himself. And that's why they establish all these special sacrifices so he can make himself clean to go inside and visit mm-hmm. Yahweh. There's also some extra prohibitions that commentators add on to this based on their understanding of the text. So there's no eating or drinking on uh, Yom Kippur mm-hmm. for, the, for the high priest. No leather shoes can be worn hmm. into, the, into the sanctuary. Because it's like dead animal? I guess so. Yeah, I assume that, that must be what it is. Okay. They cannot bathe or wash, which seems strange. That seems counter to what everything else they've said, but okay. Yeah, um, no perfumes or lotions, and they cannot have marital relations on the day that they're doing this. Which tracks with everything else we've learned. Yeah, if you were, if if you asked me to, if you if you quizzed me on these holidays and asked like, so what do they do for this? I think I could tell you pretty accurately every single one. Yeah, because they're all some variation of fasting, counting days, yeah, all that. All right, so this next part goes into how you're supposed to live holy, live holily. Holy living. When you're talking about the slaughtering of animals, everything needs to be presented to the Lord before you kill it. So that means you're like not allowed to do it anywhere else other than in the tent of worship. Um, and if you don't do this, then you'll be cut off. Priests should be the only ones to do the rituals. And then in quotes, I put, so that they may no longer offer their sacrifices for goat demons to whom they prostitute themselves. Yeah. Also, I read this as... You literally can't eat meat unless you do give an a sacrifice. Offering, yeah, which is pretty stringent. Well, it, okay, it's been very confusing to me who is allowed to eat of the sacrifice because when we first started out, it seemed like only the priests are doing this. Only the priests get to eat of it, and then it was like, well, some of the family members of the priests get to eat of it, and on like certain occasions, the people get to have some of it, like for Thanksgiving and stuff. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. And then they're like, you have to give the sacrifice, but then, like, only the priests are allowed to actually do the ritual of it. Like, nobody else is allowed to do the actual sacrificing. Yeah. Anyways, I thought I quoted that part because that's, like, the first I've ever heard of people making this, like, connection between the devil and a goat. Yeah. Because there's so many things that, you know, that I associate with Christianity that like now that I'm reading the Bible, I just like I'm I don't see those things. Right. Where does the idea of like the devil looking like a demon coming in the form of yeah from? goat and stuff? Okay. Next, it mentions that you're not allowed to eat blood because blood is what gives life to the flesh. Then it goes into probably like the meat of Leviticus, where most people quote Leviticus into unlawful sexual relations. So it starts out by saying that they are not allowed to do what they do in Canaan or in Egypt. So a little... Um, They're throwing some shade. For yeah, sure. throwing a little shade at their enemies here. It, it basically covers all incestuous relationships spanning from your immediate family to aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters-in-laws, nieces, and nephews. Um, it also specifically says that you cannot be with two sisters. And so we've already seen people, Israelite people, break these rules. Because we've seen people marry their aunts when they go over, like, the description of, like, this person married this person kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of sneak that one in there. Someone marries their aunt. And then we know, God, I'm already forgetting their names. Um, but the dude who married Rachel and, and Leah, 
Uh, Jacob. Yeah. Yeah, it, this sort of comes out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, it's forbidden and it's punishable by exile, right? It's not mm-hmm. just a little bit forbidden. It's very much not accepted. Yeah. And there are so many different, you know, ones that they specifically call out. They don't just say generally, you know, don't sleep with somebody within this relatedness to you. They go into the specifics, all all kinds of different ones. And again, like you said, you can't marry a sister, a pair of sisters, a mother and a daughter, which is mm-hmm. a kinky one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, it says that you can't have sex with a woman on her period. And then it says you cannot sacrifice a child to Moloch. And if you look up Moloch, Moloch is apparently a bull deity associated with child sacrifice. I think it's interesting that they put that in there because it that makes it seem like it's a common thing that people are doing, that people are frequently considering sacrificing a child to some kind of bull god. Yeah, I think we kind of mentioned this back in Exodus somewhere where mm-hmm. Yahweh basically calls on the people to sacrifice animals and their children to himself. Yeah. And there's kind of that question of, was there ritual child sacrifice of some sort in uh, the Israelite cult? Mm-hmm. And some scholars do believe there was. But then there's now bringing up that, you know, the sacrificing of children to Mol- Moloch and an mm-hmm. outright condemnation of it. I think what this kind of gets into, and there's a lot of this that goes on in Leviticus, and it's sort of a attempt to separate the Israelites out as a distinct group from all of their neighbors and surrounding communities. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that throwing shade of, you know, they'll say, you cannot do this. And they're talking about a specific practice that is known to be or believed to be going on or claimed to be going on in the among the Canaanites, Egyptians, all of that. And so apparently there's a thing that uh, Canaanites or some other group does where they basically send their children to walk through fire as a sacrifice to Moloch, mm. and it gives them power or something like that. And I think this comes up again later in a battle where they're fighting against someone that, and they do this and then the Israelites lose or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, they do this again and again where they kind of call out something and they're really trying to just say that the Israelites are better than everybody else. Yeah. All right. And so, and then next it says that you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And okay, this line is super interesting because some people like to argue that this is actually meant to apply to younger males and is therefore talking about pedophilia and not about being gay what did you find out about that yeah i looked into this and this is a hard one so there everything pretty much that i found on this was kind of obscure places and a lot of stuff on social media which is is never a good sign for the veracity of something okay well here's my thing about christianity is like we're talking about something that is made up and then everything after that is just like how people interpret that and so it's all just opinion basis it's really hard to get like Oh, well, what do people actually like think and believe and what was, you know what I mean? Right. And that's the problem, right? It, you have a group of people who are saying God condemns gays, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a group of people, a group of progressive Christians or uh, gay Christians, LGBT Christians who are saying, no, God does not condemn gays. Christianity does not condemn gays. What is Christianity, right? You can't really get at like an essential nature of what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. It's just a culture. 
Yeah. It's a whole identity of people that have certain beliefs and do certain things. So you can only really judge by what they're saying and what they're doing. And, you know what I mean? They all assume that there's some, if you go and read the Bible alone, you can get at some essential truth and some logic to it, some essential word of God, and that doesn't exist. Because yeah. this is a whole set of books created by different communities with different theological interpretations and interests, and then that has been re I mean, reread and interpreted in different cultural contexts for thousands of years. Yeah, and well, and it feels like it's constantly being repurposed too to just like fit what people want it to be. Really. Yeah, and I think that's like my main issue with it is like I don't really care if the original intent was supposed to, you know, say pedophilia was wrong. The fact is, is like today it is it's used to persecute people who are gay and people who are in the LGBTQ. LGBTQ community. Right. And so, yeah, I just don't care. Like, what you have to say if it was originally this or that, like, Christians are still using it. Right. And so the the source that they're basically using as why they say it's about pedophilia comes down to the word they're using for man and woman in this uh, specific phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, It says, thou shalt not lie with a man as with a woman. And there's different ways that that Wording can be depending on the translation, but essentially that is what you'll see in almost every version. So the word they use for man is the word for male. It's not age specific. Mm -hmm. It's just the word they use in Genesis when they define creating male and female. Mm -hmm. It's used multiple times. It always means male. Okay. The word they use for woman is for woman, not female, but woman, meaning you would usually apply that to an adult. Okay. So they're kind of jumping to uh, the conclusion that if they're talking about an adult woman and they just say male that well why would they use different words like that they must mean that it's a child yeah okay a bit of a tough sell i think yeah and i okay i appreciate progressive christians who who look at the bible and like you know try to look at it through a more like modern humanitarian lens and you know use it for good but at the same time, like, I'm almost getting to the point where, like, I'm tired of using Christian's own thinking, you know, because that's like what they're trying to do. You know, you're like, OK, you're supposed to believe and do everything that it says in the Bible. So if it says this in the Bible, then like, you know, this is what you should believe kind yeah. of thing. And I'm almost just like sick of that because it's all silly nonsense anyways. Right. So yeah, they're still getting at something that's essentially not true, which is the idea that God, there's a God that has some intent mm-hmm. and that just doesn't exist. But I think they're onto something in the point that the hate that Christians have for gays has very little to do with the Bible. Yeah. It really doesn't have much to do with the Bible. It has to do with a culture that is obsessed uh, with procreation and right. It's a, it's a, you know, white male dominated patriarchal culture with certain ideas about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and the roles that they play and all of these things mm-hmm. that has been created in the modern American Christian culture. Yeah. And that's what it's really about because it's a threat to that. And that's why you won't see them come at somebody who is, you know, sexually assaulted somebody, you know, like Donald Trump, right? Like many mm-hmm. Christian leaders, they won't come at them that same way. They'll talk about forgiveness for those kinds of people because they don't, represent a continuing threat to the theology, mm-hmm. to the culture. Whereas 
a person who is gay and outright gay and intends to continue being gay represents a threat to the culture. Yeah. So I, I think they're onto something that it, it has very little to do with the text because there's all kinds of other things they could be freaking out about, like people not honoring the Sabbath. Yeah. But all of these things that we're looking at right now are meant to apply to Jews in terms of maintaining their holiness so that they can be close to Yahweh, which just doesn't apply at all anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, we went off on a tangent there for a while, but I think it's a good tangent. We could probably do a whole episode on Christianity and LGBTQ community. Yeah. All right. So then it goes on to say that you can't have sex with animals. And if you do any of these things, you will be vomited from the land. Yep. And again, in this part, it kind of comes back to that that comparison where it says, do not defile yourself uh, in any of these ways, for by all these practices, the nations I am casting out before you have defiled themselves, right? It throws that accusation out at the Canaanites mm-hmm. uh, and all the other people. Also, I wanted to note another contradiction here, besides the obvious one of incest, where Abraham and all these other patriarchs commit it, and then we're told that it's forbidden. It also says uh, in Exodus twenty two thirty one, it says that you must not eat any animals that are torn in the field. You just give it to the dogs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But here it tells you that if you do eat animals that are torn in the field, you just have to bathe and be unclean for an evening, mm-hmm. right? which is different from just a direct forbidding of doing it. Yeah. All right. So then we have like another section that goes into how to, how to be moral. So God tells Moses to tell the people that they need to be holy because God is holy. And again, that's just kind of going over the fact that in the priestly text, it's all about how to be holy, how to be clean, because God is among all of them. And then it goes over some ways how to do this. And some of them have already been mentioned, like honoring your father and mother and respecting the Sabbath. So I just made a note of the ones that weren't really mentioned before. So some of the some of the new rules are don't reap your harvest to the very edges of the land. Don't gather gleanings. Don't strip your vineyards bare and leave, and uh, make sure to leave some for the poor. Don't keep the wages that you owe someone until the next morning. Don't speak badly of the deaf or trip the blind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't profit from people dying. Don't mix animals. Um, also, don't plant two different kinds of two or more different kinds of seeds in the same plot. And also don't mix garment materials. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about mixing things that, I don't know, it feels weird to read in a modern context. Yeah. (laughs) Like it feels like they're implying something, right? If I read this in like something written by conservatives today, I'd be very concerned. (laughs) Then it says, if a man has sex with a slave that isn't his, he will not be put to death because she is not a free person. He just needs to make an offering. And I just think it's worth mentioning again that Christianity serves white supremacy and these writings were definitely used as a framework for how to treat people who are enslaved. Yep. Then it says, don't eat fruit for three years after you plant a tree. The fourth year you have to give whatever is grown to God and then the fifth year you can start eating it. Also, no witchcraft and no tattoos. Got me there. Yeah. Now, it's unclear to me reading this, though, if that was a condemnation of tattoos and piercings in general or specifically as a funeral rite, because that seems like what they're referring to is that I assume Canaanites and other cultures at the time would do tattooing and piercings as a funeral rite. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Also, they talk about uh, not uh, marring the edges of your beard or 
uh, you shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard, which felt like Yahweh was prescribing uh, specific hairstyles as mm-hmm. not Well, he acceptable. doesn't want you, yeah, you're not allowed to dress a certain way. You know, you can't mix your leather with your linen, <laughs> and you got to keep your hair a certain way for the Lord, too. Yeah. I, so this comes back up again in the next, in a, in a couple of chapters, and it refers to it a little bit differently, like creating bald spots or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it talks about it specifically in the context also of, of funeral rites. So I think this is some kind of funeral practice committed or that was done by uh, other communities. And so again, it's like separating, like just don't do anything that they do because you don't want to be anything like them, you know? Mm. Yeah. They also, I like the line that, when I read the line, you shall not cheat in measuring length, weight, or quantity. I, I just saw the length just at first. Just immediately saw them measuring their dicks. Yeah. It's like, you better not be cheating when you guys are comparing. <laughs> also, uh, there's this line in here that we see. I think this is chapter 19, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a line that says, for the first time, I think this is where it talks about it. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That's the first time that the word holy has been used really outside the context of Yahweh or the priests themselves. Mm -hmm. And it gets applied to the people. You are holy, the Israelites, and therefore you have to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. So this section is referred to from Leviticus 17 through, uh, I think the rest of it, is referred to as the holiness code. So it's understood to be, all this is the priestly text, which is one of the more consistent of the different textual traditions Mm -hmm. because it's created by a single priestly guild but it's thought that the priestly text proper may be separate from this holiness code in that it was maybe composed at a a slightly different time or by a different individual within the group as a code for the the common people um and it so that phrase gets used again and again here and you you see that focus start to shift Mm. all right so we just kind of covered all of the ways that you should be staying holy or some more ways to stay holy. Um, and this next part goes into punishments or sins. So if you do decide to sacrifice a child to Moloch, then you will be stoned to death. If you, are, if you go to a wizard, God will cut you off. So nobody has to kill you. God will just, you know, take care of you in his own way. If you curse your mother or your father, you will be put to death. If a man has sex with his neighbor's wife, his daughter-in-law, another man, his wife's mother, uh, or an animal, both parties will be put to death. And so what this tells me when they say that if a man has sex with an animal, then the animal also has to die. To me, that implies that even if the encounter was like non-consensual, because an animal can never give consent, then the woman who's being, or I assume is a woman, it also says man, um, is being raped. Or that there could be an instance where they are being raped and then they would still be punished for, for that rape. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think all of these, uh, one of the things I notice is just, I mean, it's always like specifically addressing men. All of these books are only talking to the men. So all of these are from the male perspective. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was interesting, the... Uh, way they phrase some of it, right? You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is the nakedness of your father. You shall not uncover mm-hmm. the nakedness of your brother's wife. That is the nakedness of your brother, right? So all the other ones, the reason is, well, it's your own flesh. Like, it's your own family, dude. That's gross. Yeah. But these ones, it's it belongs to your 
brother, your yeah. father, right? That's theirs. Well, and it, to me, it also seemed like if you have sex with your mom, that's like you having sex with your dad. Because, like, your dad has been inside of your mom, and now you're inside of it. It sounds so gross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they don't use that for, like, I, I mean, what's interesting here is they could just eliminate all of this if they just, you know, had a outright condemnation of either polygamy or of extramarital sex, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could maybe, they would maybe have to say that you can't marry some of these people, but right. in general, they could eliminate having a lot of these discussions by saying that, but they don't, right? So they're kind of assuming that men are, are sleeping with other women and potentially sleeping with, mm-hmm. you know, some of these women who are, are married, although it, it does call that out specifically somewhere else if you sleep with another man's wife, but it doesn't talk about it like you're sleeping with that man. No, but okay. It, it, to me, it reads like you're getting somebody else because it says you uncover their nakedness too. It's like mm-hmm. you're getting their sloppy seconds, you know, that whole kind of concept. And it's like, why would you want to be where they have been kind yeah. of thing? That's the sense that I got from okay. it. I'm not saying like that's like, and maybe to me, that's also just like cultural because I still see that today kind yeah, of thing definitely. where it's like, oh, you don't want to be where, you know, obviously you don't, most people don't want to have sex with their mom. But I'm just saying like, you know, if your best friend sleeps with somebody, that's like a thing like sloppy seconds. Right. Yeah. I, get, I read it more as like that nakedness belongs to your father, right? That privilege of seeing her nakedness. Yeah. Either way, I guess what I was really trying to focus on was the fact that um, the victim gets punished too. Yeah. Which is is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And then it says, if a man has sex with his sister or a woman on her period, then they will all be cut off. Yeah. And that's another uh, contradiction from within Leviticus, actually, from a separate part of the priestly text. Here it says, if a man lies with a woman having her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has laid bare her flow, and she has laid bare her flow of blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. Leviticus 15.24 says, if any man lies with her and her impurity falls upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Right. So it's just a uncleanness, and then you have like ritual cleanliness, mm-hmm. and you're back. But now here it's, no, we don't want anything to do with you. You're exiled. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really interesting is kind of like the level of severity for the different things. Like they make the distinction that if you have sex with your sister, then you're going to be cut off. But if you have sex with your neighbor's wife, you know, your daughter-in-law, then you then you die. And also, you also die if you curse your mother or father. Yeah, the logic of the punishments is <laughs> pretty, you know, just shooting blind. Yeah. Um, and then it says ant sex will make you childless. Yeah. It also says here that if you have sex with an animal, you'll be put to death, which compared to, so Leviticus 18, 29 says that you'll be cut off, uh, whereas Exodus twenty two eighteen also says death. God, how do these people know what to do? Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next we have some regulations for priests. So priests are not allowed to handle dead dead bodies, um, except if they are part of their immediate family. And then even within that, there are some exceptions. So they cannot be near their dead sister if she is not a virgin. So she has to be a virgin in order for him to be able to go near her when she's dead. 
Um, and he also cannot go near his wife when she dies. And then it says that priests are not allowed to have any bald spots, beard trimming, or gashes in their flesh. They aren't allowed to marry prostitutes, which really quick, I just want to say sex work should be legal so that way we can be safer. They are not allowed to marry anybody who's not a virgin and definitely no widows. And it also mentions that they have to be of the same kin. Yeah, so they have to be, I think they have to be Levites at least. Mm -hmm. Obviously have to be Israelites. Yeah. If a priest's daughter is, oh, I already said that. No, did I say that? No, I don't think you mentioned that a prostitute whose father is a priest is put to death. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so if a priest's daughter is a prostitute, she will be burned to death. Burned to oh, death, yeah, like a witch. Specifically burned, yeah. Yeah. Then next it goes to a whole laundry list of people who are considered blemished, and so they may not offer food to God. So this includes blind people, lame people. Okay, I'm just saying it in the words of the Bible. I know some of this is not very PC. So blind, lame, mutilated face, limbs too long, anybody with a limb that's too long, a broken foot or hand, hunchback, dwarf, an itching disease, or crushed testicle. Yeah. How common was it for men to get their testicles Well, that's what I'm wondering, too, is, like, the amount of concerns they have over, like, physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. It leads me to think that somehow it was very common in this group of people. Yeah. Which makes me think maybe that's why now all of a sudden we need a ban ban on on, incest. On incest, yeah. But also it's, you know, it's pretty fucked up. Like, this all-powerful God that has apparently control over, you know, birth rates and what kind of birth success you're going to have mm-hmm. you know now is condemning the people that he created from being near his altar yeah um then we have acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices so nobody who is unclean can eat the offerings and if a priest buys someone then they can eat the offering if a daughter marries a layman then she can't eat the offering anymore and also if she, but if she is widowed with no children, then she can delete the offering. Yeah. Um, it also tells you, this is here where we were talking earlier about whether or not anyone else could eat the offerings. Right. And it specifically says here, no one but the priests. Yeah. Which feels like a real scam. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Also, the only acceptable offerings are healthy animals. And then it pretty much gives the same um disabilities or afflictions as the people who aren't allowed near the altar to begin with yeah oh my god okay so this next part this chapter is so deceiving this is the annual feast and so i thought we were going to get into some like good reading here just about like fun celebrations and stuff it's not i can sum it up for you so it's basically counting the days making sacrifices not working sometimes for fun and also sometimes not working not for fun and eating unleavened bread one day they get to one day out of the year they get to blow on a trumpet and then there's also one week of living in a booth and those are their celebrations yep so this is the third time ish that we've Mm -hmm. done this festival discussion yes um each time it's pretty similar structure but it changes just a little bit every time Mm -hmm. so this one we've kind of added a couple of them here so compared yeah compared to exodus we've now added the passover because in exodus the passover is just kind of part of festival unleavened bread it's Uh not separate 
And then you have the Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and the additional part of the Festival of Weeks, because the Festival of Weeks was in the second time they talk about it in Exodus and also the first time, but it was referred to as the Harvest Festival. Mm-mm. But they also added the an additional part of it where something like 50 days after the beginning yeah. of it, you do a second uh, festival. Yeah. Also, Exodus tells us that the Festival of Unleavened Bread, uh, the Festival of Unleavened Bread starts on the 14th. Here it's the 15th. Yeah. And then I also don't know what these booths they're referring to are. Yeah. I don't know what else they'd be living in. I was in picturing everybody living in like a, a stall of some sort, like, yeah. like a market setup. It, it has something to do with Egypt. They were saying it's like to remember um, something about them leaving Egypt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, then we have some rules for oil and bread in the tabernacle. So there should be olive oil for an eternal fire. And also make sure to leave bread on the tabernacle. Um, can we, some more discussion of punishment for blasphemy. So if someone says, I kind of give this little story about somebody says the Lord's name in vain and they like make it very clear that his parents, one of them is an Israelite and his, his mother is an Israelite and his father is, a, is an Egyptian. And so that feels kind of intentional to me because oh, yeah. basically they decide that since he took the Lord's name in vain, Everybody who heard him say it gets to take him outside of the camp and stone him to death. Yep. And they, they specifically give him a lineage to his mother is yes. Shulamith, daughter of someone else, yeah. right? Yeah. And then they also start talking about the whole eye for an eye thing all over As again. Was, yeah. We get the classic eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth line in here. Okay. Then we go into some more talk about some celebrations. So the Sabbath and Jubilee years. So God tells them that when they get to the promised land on the seventh year, they're supposed to rest for that entire year. Yeah. Pretty much a direct repeat from Exodus mm-hmm. as far as the sabbatical year goes and letting the land fallow. Yeah. There's also some talk about on the 50th year, they should have a celebration as well. There's some discussion on how to deal with like property matters, taking in relatives that are down on their luck and I shouldn't charge them interest. Your own people cannot be slaves, only people from other nations. A lot of stuff that's just kind of being, like, recycled from before. Yeah. There's a lot to that Jubilee year one. Yeah. It's supposed to be, like, a complete renewal. And it, the property stuff was a little bit confusing to me because it sounds like you sell your property, but then at, when the Jubilee year comes around, you get to go take your property back. Yeah, it was. They kind of made it seem like on the Jubilee year, just like everything gets better for everybody. Just like everybody is supposed to. Well, not if you're the one who bought the property. Yeah, that's (laughs) good. Yeah. I I can't tell. I think maybe that is not exactly how that is meant. I think that might have to do with like maybe if you have to like, I don't know, mortgage your property or do something weird. Not quite sure what that exactly is referring to. But. Now, the interesting part here is how this compares with Exodus again. So uh, Exodus 21.2 says, When you buy a male Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but in the seventh he shall go out a free person without debt. Mm -hmm. Leviticus 25.39, These you may treat as slaves, but as for your fellow Israelites, no one shall rule over them with harshness. So it talks a whole bunch about, previous data talks a whole bunch about Foreigners and aliens residing among you can be slaves, and then their children can be slaves. 
but Israelites specifically cannot be slaves. They can only be like hired servants. And also in uh, Exodus, again, it's for six years or something like that if Mm -hmm. it's a Hebrew slave, whereas the actual slaves, meaning the, the foreigners who become slaves in this situation, they can be passed on from generation to generation. And the Hebrew servants uh, get renewed in the Jubilee year. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So then we kind of continue this theme of like um, blessings and then punishments. So if you obey the Lord, then he will give rain, good harvest, peace in the land. He'll clear out dangerous animals. No enemies will be able to conquer them. They'll have lots of children and God will continue to walk among them. And then if they do not obey, I swear this part was like twice as long. Not like more <laughs> stuff, just like more yeah. description of Standard the terror. Dog shit, you know? Yeah. So right away it says there's going to be terror and fear. Nothing is going to grow. Enemies will be easily able to strike them down. Wild animals will eat children and livestock, dwindling their numbers. Everyone's always going to be hungry. No matter like how much they eat, they'll always be hungry. The roads are going to be deserted seems like a positive thing to me i don't know (laughs) clear roads thanks god yeah um and oh the last part it goes into how you'll have to eat your own children oh yeah yep they go into some cannibalism stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty much the standard like you know non-verifiable god stuff where you know anyone who's trying to fear monger you into doing what they want Mm -hmm. it's like every time something bad happens it's like well clearly you were sinning Right. And then every time something good happens, you yeah. know, this is how we know that our prayers work. Right. Mm-hmm. So the standard stuff. Yeah. Okay. And then our final chapter of Leviticus regulations for offerings vowed to the Lord. If someone is vowed to the temple, so I guess like in service of the temple, then they have to like pay a certain amount of money to be redeemed. And in this case, it pays to be a woman. <laughs> because you have to pay less if you're a woman. Yeah. So this refers to, so we talked before about uh, the concept of the firstborn belonging to Yahweh or whatever, and whether that means actual sacrifice or later it start it, it says that that means that they're given to the temple basically as servants. Yeah. And the process of redeeming them. Basically, all of this is talking about what their value is if they are owed to the temple they could also be they talk about like making a vow right so you can vow yourself as a servant you can vow your child as a servant mm-hmm. to the temple and then if you want to redeem that person if you want to or if they want to buy themselves out of it they can just give money in its place and so that's why you'll see like the older people tend to be worth less than yeah. the younger people that's what I was gonna say. It's still and the women are worth less than yeah. men because they're expected to do more work Right, so that that's what the value is based on how much they can supposedly do for the temple. Yeah. Also, in this segment, it talks about uh, unclean animals again mm-hmm. and ransoming them. So, if you remember in Exodus thirteen thirteen, but every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a sheep. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. Here, uh, so the donkey is an unclean animal; it does not chew the cud. Yeah. So Leviticus twenty seven twenty seven. If it is an unclean animal. It shall be ransomed at its assessment with one-fifth added. If it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at its assessment. So both the cost to redeem it is different because it's not a sheep. It's 
uh, its assessment value in money plus a fifth, and also the consequence of not doing it has changed from just selling it or from breaking its neck to now just selling it. Yeah. So, yeah. God, I'm so happy to be out of Leviticus. I took a peek at numbers. Doesn't look that much better. <laughs> but yeah, it's still mostly priestly text. I think it might have some other stuff in there, mm-hmm. but pretty much all priestly text. Yeah. Um, okay. More than anything, it blows my mind that Christians. Because, like, you know, they walk around thinking that everything in this book somehow applies to their life. Yeah. And I have seen nothing useful at all so far. Right. Nothing that Christians actually do, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Sabbath and all that stuff. I do want to go back because we missed our favorite segment. What? Christian gymnastics. Oh. So going back to that discussion about whether or not incest is okay, you know, Christians have to come up with an explanation. Not only for why it was okay for Abraham and all his boys to to marry siblings, cousins, whatever else. Mm-hmm. But they also have to explain Adam and Eve. Because if they do believe that it was literally just Adam and Eve by many people at the same time, they have to believe that there was a lot of incest going on just to populate the world. Right. So one of the, the standard one is just, oh, well, those laws didn't apply yet. God hadn't made them up yet, right? Yeah. So, I mean, fine. but. Your omniscient God is just making this up as he goes along now instead of having a divine plan. And uh, so another one is just, well, there were so many ungodly people around. There was no one else to to marry or have sex with. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But my favorite, right, is when Christians start to dabble in science, which is always funny. Yeah. So Adam and Eve were genetically perfect. So there were no defects to pass on. Over time, the defects develop, so the law becomes necessary. How stupid are you to believe that somebody could be genetically perfect? Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Well, that's the point. Cause they you always... tell me right now what color you think their skin was. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time Christians start to, like, dabble in science, genetically they perfect. show their ignorance. Are you, just, are you shitting me? That, that means nothing. We've had this conversation before about how only the strongest survive kind of thing. That isn't necessarily the case. Just because things are evolving doesn't mean no, this is going too much. But <laughs> You're taking the argument maybe too seriously. I am. But. You're right. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, though, what do you think of incest? What do I think yeah, of Yeah, right incest? or wrong in your opinion. Well, so, I mean, the biological case is obviously there, right? If two people, most... Genetic defects are recessive Mm -hmm. because they don't last long if they're not recessive. Mm -hmm. The only ones that aren't recessive usually come late in life, like Huntington's disease. So, right, if you're having relations with a a close relative and decide to have children with them, obviously, then there's a much higher likelihood of that recessive trait being shared among you and then a child has a genetic defect. As far as the morality of it. But do you apply that to any, that's what I'm saying, is like, do you think that, means that it's immoral and does that also mean then that if you know that you have genetic defects in your dna and you're marrying someone who like isn't related to you but you know that you would pass that on there's a potential for that to get passed on does that mean what they're doing is immoral too right so i think the the morality question becomes obviously if you're a christian you believe in an overarching consistent uh, deontological. No, 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 I'm not morality. talking about Christians. I'm talking about like you right now. Yeah, no, I don't care. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about that because all right. Here's I just don't my, care. Here's my. I understand why people right. There's an evolutionary reason for why we're uncomfortable with it. Yes. And if you're uncomfortable with it, fine. Yeah. Don't do it. You know, be uncomfortable uh, with it. Whatever. I will say. But I am still uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I don't like. I mean, I'm uncomfortable with identical twins, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> You can't do anything about it. You're them. uncomfortable with whatever you want to be uncomfortable with, but there's no moral issue with it. That's what, yeah. Okay. Because, all right. So, how I kind of direct my moral compass is, you know, the issue of consent. So, obviously, it is wrong to have sex with animals because they can never consent. It's wrong to have sex with children because they are not capable of consenting either. And so, yeah, it just feels like, you know, at one point, Two men having sex with each other made people uncomfortable. The thought of it made them uncomfortable. And so we decided that they were morally wrong and should be... I don't want to say persecuted. That sounds so biblical. What am I trying to say? Discriminated against. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, if they're like two adults, I'm like... I don't care. I guess I can't care. Yeah, if you can consent to it, I guess I... You know, there's no reason for me to be getting all up in arms about it. Yeah. I mean, so that was the other thing that came up, too, with this is... That that same Christian article talked about, you know, incest being uh, commonly predatorial, mm-hmm. right? It, it commonly isn't consensual. It commonly is among family members, and there's abuse involved in it, and that's another reason why it's taboo. But it just have consent. I don't really, you know what I mean? Like they they yeah. always just like, oh, this thing can be associated with sexual assault, right? Like that we talked about that last week mm-hmm. with you know not you know women maybe not wanting to have sex on their periods. It's like you're, you're kind of showing your hand is that you don't really care about communicating consent. Yeah. But yeah, the, the claim about the like genetic perfection of Adam and Eve, it also yeah. says that so the genetic defects build up over time. And that's why we have to be worried about it now, but there's just no evidence that genetic defects increase over time. Genetic yeah. Mutations happen over time, but that doesn't mean that defects are increasing in number. Also, the idea of genetic perfection is really silly when you consider the majority of human DNA is absolutely useless. It does mm-hmm. absolutely has absolutely no purpose in our body. It is not functional. Wait, is it not, or do we just not know? Well, we have no reason to believe it functions, right? And there's okay. scientists will compare to like other animals to try to associate what things are actually functional or not. Well, okay, and to me, it also means that you kind of do buy into eugenics. If you th- if you yeah. think that there could exist somebody who has quote perfect DNA, perfect genes, then you think that there's a set of genes that is more you know. Yeah, they're they're saying free of defects, meaning like disabilities or whatever. But okay. yeah, uh, the other thing when but, when I started looking into this more and like finding the forums where people talk about this and are take it seriously and try to understand it as if it's science. Yeah, some of them talk about. Adam and Eve contained all the races within their DNA. And so then that's how they, the races spread out from Adam and Eve is because they had each of the races and some of their kids ended up the different, like, it's well, absolute nonsense. Yeah. And I guess that's what I, w- what I was thinking when you said perfect DNA. And it's like, there is no perfect DNA because everything evolves and adapts to its environment. So it may be like perfectly set up for that, or not even perfectly set up, but like well set up for that environment. But take it out of there, and then it's like, you know, less advantageous. Yeah. Anyways, we're going deep into <laughs> yeah some 
useless Christian logic, but mm-hmm. that's uh, this whole podcast, though. That that's true. It is the whole podcast. But yeah, that was that was my favorite one for this week. Yeah, my favorite Christian gymnastics move. Good stuff. So the next chapter we're gonna be looking at is is it Deuteronomy? No, it's Numbers one. Okay, so next we're gonna be going into Numbers. I know almost nothing about Numbers. Same. So this will be new uh, and interesting. And I think we're going to try to do a bonus episode in which we can introduce ourselves because this is going to be, I think, our 10th episode. Yeah. And if you're still listening, if you did want to tweet and ask a question for us to talk about, then you could do that. Yeah. We're absolutely open to suggestions and also to feedback. Love to yeah, hear or if you just want to like say, please do don't do that. We don't want to get to know you. Yeah. <laughs> just keep reading the Bible. Go for it. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye, y'all.